So we are in the second half of Mark chapter number 7 this week. And um, I want to read, our text starts in verse uh, 24, chapter number 7. But just, uh, it's been a couple of weeks, right? We had last week off. So I just want to read a couple of verses at the beginning of chapter 7 and then and then jump to ours. So <clears throat> I want to read um, starting in verse 5, like 5 through 7, and then I'll jump to our text. Okay, so uh, Mark chapter 7, <clears throat> and the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the, of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Okay, so then he, uh, you know, takes the Pharisees to the woodshed. And, uh, and so we pick up our text now in verse 24, okay? So, <clears throat> and from there, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre. I'm sorry, is it Mark 7? Mark 7, yep. 7.24. Yep. Yeah, we're jump, we jump to verse 24, chapter 7. <clears throat> you, you guys have it? And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them not to to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So, um, okay, so uh, the reason I picked up that first piece is because chapter 7, I think, is set up like a coin. So the first half of chapter 7, we saw 
this uh, dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisees about clean versus unclean, right? We've, we've, we've had this conversation for uh, most of our study, insiders and outsiders and parables and clean and unclean and, and so on. And this, uh, so this isn't the first time we ran into this. But in the first half of chapter 7, we've got legalists who honor God with their words only. They know the law so well, they even make up more laws to show the world how good they are in comparison to others. That's the Pharisees from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the Pharisees and their defiled hearts, they uh, hate God on the inside, but care about looking better than the others, looking better than everyone else on the outside. They, uh, what they are doing is they're simply amassing glory for themselves, right? And so we're going to see this picture throughout our text of people who look like they belong in the kingdom of God and people who don't look like they belong in the kingdom of God. And uh, Mark will contrast them uh, for us. So Jesus quotes Isaiah 29 to the Pharisees and, uh, and says, hey, you guys look so right on the outside, keeping all of these rules and regulations, but your prideful hearts are far from the Lord. They look good at synagogue, but their hearts are rotten. And so the second half of this chapter, we'll call it the flip side of the coin. Uh, Jesus says goodbye to Capernaum, gets out of there and goes for a walk where the dogs of society howl here. And he goes into Gentile territory, right? And I, I, it doesn't say this, Mark doesn't say this explicitly, but I suspect it's to sort of get away from the heat, right? He just uh, locked horns again with the Pharisees. So uh, he's probably letting the Pharisees cool off a little bit. And, uh, and Mark is going to use this mission trip of Jesus to uh, show his readers who is in the kingdom and who is outside of the kingdom. And our, our two stories illustrate that uh, by, the, you know, by the flip side. So uh, it's the, the, these two stories are the opposite of what happens in the first half. And, and so he'll uh, use that to do this illustration. The, the theme for our text, I hope uh, 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 we have that right, is that no one is too far or too unclean to be saved by grace. And the, it, it's funny when you start a study and you, you read, um, we'll talk about a couple of things that I, I uh, found interesting, of course, in this, but you start reading um, commentaries, you'll get scholars and what they say, and there's a little bit of, um, uh, of a uh, disagreement about this particular text, the scholars don't seem to like that Jesus went on a mission trip into Gentile territory, and they don't like the way he did it. Uh, he, someone was complaining about, you know, the so you've got the Sea of Galilee here, and Capernaum is, is in this area, and then you've got the Mediterranean. So Jesus goes out here to what is Lebanon, Tyre, and Sidon, a couple of port cities. 
So he bounces around there and then goes here to the Decapolis where we uh, met Legion, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, right? So they don't like that and it seems to make total sense to me. My, my opinion after reading these um, <clears throat> goofballs, scholars, scholars, is that, uh, it, is that we see this a lot it's so far when Jesus uh, dukes it out with the Pharisees, he seems to then back away, head to the, uh, 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 the wilderness to, to get away from them. I, I believe that he's simply managing the pressure with, uh, with religious leaders uh, while he's on his mission. It's not time for him to be scooped up and arrested and tried yet, right? And so he has these interactions with them and then steps away to kind of let tempers cool and so on. And he's, it's, now's not the time. And so if he stayed in it and he stayed bunning heads with leadership, no doubt they would, uh, they would not tolerate this for very long, right? And so I, I think he's simply managing the, uh, the plan. He's working the plan. He's perfectly executing the plan uh, that, uh, that was determined by the council of, of the Trinity. So I think that's what's, what's happening. Totally makes sense to me. There are multiple accounts of what he did here in Tyre and Sidon. Um, Matthew 15 picks up these uh, two stories. Uh, they, um, the, the details, they use the details slightly different, but the, the first story in Tyre with the woman uh, is, uh, is in greater detail, of course, in Matthew, as you might expect. But uh, so, so that's what's happening. We... Uh, we find a woman in verse 24 and verse 25 uh, with dogged determination, right? So uh, it, there's no mention of disciples in Mark's account. And, uh, in, you know, Jesus goes north to this uh, Gentile port city. And uh, a, a Syrophoenician is a, um, a Syrian who speaks Greek. That's the, uh, the nature of this Canaanite woman. And in verse 25, this would be socially unacceptable for a Gentile woman to approach a rabbi. Wouldn't happen, okay? And, and so we immediately can, can get a sense that uh, this isn't a rule follower, like the Pharisees, right? So the Pharisees, rule followers, bad hearts. And here's a woman who is not a rule follower. She uh, breaks the rules. And it's our clue that something special is going to happen here in uh, this transaction. Why would she do such a thing? Well, in her approach, we learn a couple of things. She is bold and yet humble at his feet. She throws herself at uh, the feet of Jesus. So in her boldness, Mark is showing us her faith. Mark is putting her faith on display. And uh, in verse 26, she boldly yet humbly comes to him. She is desperate for Jesus. She's desperate for his help. In contrast to the Pharisees who have lots of rules and no heart 
inclination towards Jesus. She breaks the rules, but has a heart uh, of uh, desire and love and worship for the rabbi. Okay, so uh, so that's that's how we start this, and we start with this dialogue that. I really struggled with the first few times I, I read it, I even talked to uh, uh, Jeff about it. It's not right to throw the children's bread to the dogs. Yowzer, right? This sounds like a massively unkind insult, unworthy of our Lord, right? It seemed, what? And <clears throat> that's because we know that uh, Jews often retur- refer to the Gentiles they are as dogs, right? They are unclean, they are beasts, they uh, are the undesirables, if you will. Uh, Jews see Gentiles as unclean, but this isn't what Jesus meant. Jesus uses a parable here. He uses language, remember, to, uh, he uses a parable to keep things hidden from the outsiders, Right? She's an outsider, and his reply to her, his response to her, is with a parable. He uh, says, it's not right to throw the children's bread to the dogs. And the word dog here, I, I used a guy named James Edwards, great commentary. Uh, there's, there's a lot, there's, there's three Greek words in our text that unlock the text that we have to know and we're coming up on the first one here which is the the word for dogs it's uh it's canarian and it's the word for puppies or house pets so it's not the word for the wild dirty uh scavenger dogs that roam the uh the wilderness which is what they call gentiles it's not that word um rather it's uh, it's a cute little puppy, like uh, perhaps the fuzzy little uh, Miller uh, puppy that they have. It's more like a designer handbag kind of a kind of a pet, right? <clears throat> so no roaming scavenger wild dogs uh, in the picture. The dogs belong to the household and will be fed after the children. Jesus is the father who feeds his children and the rest of the household. That's the picture. It's, um, it, it's not this, uh, this derogatory um, uh, insult here. So Mark is using this, to, uh, this dialogue to draw out a test from Jesus. It's first we feed the kids, then we feed the pets. That's the idea here. And Jesus creates a little tension there, testing the woman's faith by pushing back at her a little bit by saying, I must first minister to Israel before I minister to the Gentiles. I'm I'm the Messiah, I'm the Savior to Israel, not to the Gentiles directly, right? And uh, and this is going to be another Isaiah reference that, that we'll see. So, Paul, if you recall, he wrote the same thing in Romans, right? In Romans 1.16, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, right? So Paul, no, Paul understood that. 
And uh, Jesus has shown us that he is a deep love, a saving love for all people, but he is a uh, Jew first and he is their Messiah, okay? So, uh, so this is going to help us kind of work out the inside-outside uh, relationship that has been going on. So, verse 28 shows the woman's response to Jesus shows that her understanding and acceptance of Israel's privilege. The woman accepts what Jesus says is true, but she's still desperate for him, right? She knows she needs him to help her, and so she pushes past the parable and says, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. That's her reply. She seems to better understand the purpose of Israel's Messiah better even than the people in his own hometown, right? Her chutzpah and her persistence shows her trust in the sufficiency of Jesus and his abundant grace. Her, her reply, the dogs under the table eat all they want, is the word is, Cortazo for eat all they want, okay? And it's only used two other times in Scripture. You'll be interested to, to know what they are. It's in the feeding of the 5,000 that we just read about. Isn't that awesome? And the 4,000 that we're about to read about. Um, We will cortazo later this morning at the Lord's table. Yeah. We will taste his abundant grace. So, lots of people have seen miracles, heard parables. They've seen exorcisms galore, right? They know the law. They've traveled with Jesus, but they don't have saving faith. They look godly. They look like part of the team, even on the outside. But <clears throat> fortunately, uh, in this uh, scene here, being a Gentile does not exclude you from faith. Gentiles are included in the kingdom of God that is being established, right? <clears throat> okay, so the dialogue between Jesus and the woman in verse 26 and 27, was not about whether the gospel was for Gentiles, but rather the order of service. The woman begs Jesus for help, and he responds with a parable designed to hide its lesson from outsiders, and this woman should be an outsider. On the outside, she doesn't appear to be part of the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't deny the woman, but he says, First, let the children eat all they want. He establishes a priority of his mission. Jesus is the Messiah to Israel. Israel is his priority, but not to the exclusion of the Gentiles. <clears throat> so, Isaiah 49 prophesies of a servant of the Lord who will restore Israel to him, to God, he will restore the house of Jacob to God. 
In Isaiah 49.6, he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And so we see that Jesus fulfilling that here in this, in this story, the one who will restore the tribe of Jacob, but bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And um, so then we, we kind of roll into verse 29 and 30. Before you go there, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm just appreciating the language of that Isaiah 49 6. It's too light a thing that you're going to be the savior of Israel. It's too little. Yeah. I mean, that's marvelous. It'll, it is. And that, yeah. And this, this passage essentially shows it. Yeah. It's incredible. Thanks for pointing that out. In, in December, I was looking at some stuff for... Um, Christmas, right? And I, I kept coming back to Isaiah. I kept like running into stuff, and I, and I, and I said to you, I, I have such a, a regret that I don't know Isaiah better than I do right now because I continually find myself in Isaiah looking at Jesus in the Gospels. It's it's amazing. Um, Mark, incidentally, he's writing to uh, Roman Christians, right? So not uh, not Israel. And so he does very little. He touches Old Testament references very little in his letter because they wouldn't, it's not for people who know the Old Testament per se, right? It's not, it's not their traditions. But when he does make a connection, it's all in, you know? Uh, so this whole chapter seven sits on, uh, a, a beam that is built by Isaiah. It's very, very cool. So, the believing woman submits her cause to Jesus and she is not disappointed. For such a reply, he says, you may go. This is such a contrast to the disciples who at times seem dull and lacking comprehension. Jesus seems reluctant to speak to a pagan woman who walks up to him. But after a brief exchange, she understands his mission. Matthew 15 says, Woman, you have great faith. That's uh, how Matthew accounts this, uh, this dialogue. Uh, too many words for Mark, perhaps. But uh, the woman appears to be the first person in Mark's gospel to hear and understand a parable of Jesus. It, reading it, it, it's almost humanly, it's like she takes him by surprise. You know, it seems uh, it, it seems like that, like this blow off. And she's she wants him. She wants uh, the savior. Uh, the short parable of the children and the dogs has disclosed to her the mystery of the kingdom of God that Paul wrote about. The woman does not or d- does what Jesus requires of a believer. She enters the parable and accepts Jesus on his terms. Yeah. Verbally, she wrestles with the God of Jacob, and she is overcome. She took Christ at his own word, and he treated her not as a dog, but a child of his own. Okay, so, that, so that's scene one to illustrate that 
that contrast to the uh, the Pharisees. He uh, he bounces around through Sidon and then rolls around to the other side of of Galilee to the Decapolis, right? And if you recall, it was maybe a month ago. We uh, he he shows up. He uh, he kicks out Legion into the Bay of Pigs, right? And uh, and the townspeople come and say, "We don't want you around here. Get going!" Right? They kick him out. He comes this time, and it's a much warmer uh, reception, and no doubt because our boy, you know, the Legion guy, uh, has been proclaiming Christ in the Decapolis. And so they're bringing people now to uh, the Messiah. So he moves around and people bring to Jesus a man who was deaf and could hardly speak. In the healing of the deaf mute, Mark emphasizes the care of Jesus for this man. Jesus can heal any way he wants, right? We've seen him do it a number of ways. Uh, We've seen him do it remotely, right? Uh, Not even uh, on sight. And uh, yet, with this man, Jesus acts like a personal savior. He treats the man like a unique individual. This isn't the first time He's made somebody who is unclean, clean. And he's demonstrated this clean versus defiled uh, uh, conundrum here. uh, That something unclean doesn't defile him. When he meets something defiled, he makes it clean. He makes it undefiled. And... Jesus just took the Pharisees to the woodshed in this regard, right? What defiles a person? So uh, the, the, the exchange with the ear, the wet willy, and the spittle, and all of this stuff, super gross, right? <clears throat> there wasn't any magic in the spittle. He didn't even have to heal him that way, right? He could have... He could have said something. He could have, you know, there was, there was no need to do this. But there was a man in need and Jesus showed him compassion. And so, I, so I, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this interaction. And it's like, I'm sure we have seen somebody. Maybe, maybe you've uh, experienced this. Have you seen a friend, somebody that you know, so distraught that... Um, you, you, you see them and like, that person needs a hug, something like that. Have you, seen, have you been in a situation where like somebody has lost a loved one, uh, is in such a bad state, and, and, you, and you come up and if you, you touch somebody and you give them a hug or something like that, and you feel like the tension kind of come out a little bit, right? That connection that happens. So... Um, I'm sure that's, that's what was happening here. Um, he, uh, he touches them and then he sighs and uh, 
looks to heaven and then he says be opened right this is the same thing that he said to the pharisees in verse 14 of this chapter what happens to people who hear jesus and understand well for this guy in verse 35 the prisoner is freed the greek says uh the chain of his tongue was broken that's what he says the chain is specifically it's a fetter it's the kind of chain that keeps a man in prison the man was speaking correctly he didn't even need to be trained to speak he didn't have the benefit of hearing speech and now he speaks clearly this is an epic miracle this is no this is no small healing the description of the man with the impediment here uh, uses a greek word called magalelos and it's only used in one other case in the bible and it's the description of revealing the glory of the lord to the nations in isaiah 35 5 and 6. it says the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped and the tongue of the dumb mogalelos shout for joy so mark's writing to the roman gentiles and here he is just he's just uh, giving them stories built on the fulfillment of Isaiah prophecy here. Isaiah 35 is the final chapter in the first part of Isaiah. It uh, follows a series of chapters declaring God's judgment on Edom, Egypt, Tyre, Israel, and Jerusalem. And in 35, in this chapter where Mark draws, Mark is using the word to connect our text to Jesus ushering in the end times. Isaiah 35, 2 says, Lebanon, which is Tyre and Sidon, will receive the joy of God. Mark is writing that Jesus is the fulfillment of that Isaiah prophecy, that the Gentiles of Lebanon will join the ransomed of the Lord and enter Zion. God's Redeemer from Zion will usher the Gentiles into the kingdom of God as our Syrophoenician woman just learned, right? So ironically then, he's, he's released the chain on the tongue of this man. And what happens when someone gets their speech, right? You can't shut them up, can you? <laughs> Look at, look at verse 36. Jesus commands the crowd to silence. At this point, he's been well received by the Gentiles, but there's a reason for this. this, this uh, there's a reason Mark has this. They, they, uh, he implores them not to speak of this, and the, the stronger he pushes for them to ziplock uh, uh, mouths on this deal, the more they speak of it, Okay. This, this chaos is to show, <clears throat> I think, that both Jews and Gentiles reject his instruction. Mark shows us that both the Jews and the Gentiles lack something on their own. So 
<clears throat> knowing about Jesus alone does not make you a follower. While the Jews and Gentiles are greatly different in terms of the law, clean versus unclean, their ethnicity, those things are unimportant next to faith in Jesus. Both Jews and Gentiles need more than anything to come to a saving faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus is a difficult thing. If you didn't think so before, see, you know, if you have the benefit of growing up in church and things like that, you know, you uh, maybe don't wrestle with that, the, how difficult it is to be a follower of Jesus. But <clears throat> when you see my uh, kids leave school, kids leave the nest, and they don't follow, right? You see how, how difficult it is. We were talking about that last night with, uh, with Fisher. It's a difficult thing. And we see Mark continue with the insider-outsider theme. Hearing and understanding can only come from Jesus. Some are close to Jesus like the disciples, but do not understand. Others, like the woman in our text, are outsiders who understand immediately. Whether they understand fully or not, they proclaim him to be God in the last line of our text. He has done all things well, they say. Hearkening back <clears throat> to Genesis 1 in creation, the end of Genesis 1, right? When God looks out at creation and he's pleased, he's done a good job. It's a beautiful thing. And here Jesus creating a new kingdom and doing all things well, just like the Father. So who gets to be in the kingdom of God? It is not the people who, when confronted by their sin, say, I did nothing wrong. Like the guys in the first half of the chapter, right? Those who hear the words of Jesus and understand. It's a miracle. But in their understanding... They see Jesus as their only hope, their only sustenance, the, their only nourishment. They are desperate for the bread of life, and no one is too far from that abundant gift of grace. Glory. All right. Have a good morning. Thanks.